Hello, and welcome to Indiana Issues, a weekly public affairs program that goes beyond the headlines and sound bites to bring you Indiana's newsmakers in their entirety. I'm your host, Abdul Hakim Shabazz, the editor and publisher of IndyPolitics.org. Today on Indiana Issues, we look back at this week's midterm elections. Indiana Issues is underwritten in part by the Indiana Conference of Mayors, which has local program, the Indiana Chamber of Commerce, Ivy Tech Community College, the small business law firm of Thrasher, Bushman & Vocal, the Institute of Quality Education, the Indiana Civil Rights Commission, and Downtown Comics, your place to escape. You're listening to Indiana Issues. When I started Ivy Tech, I lacked the confidence to do what I do now. They gave me confidence, and they helped me know that I could do anything. It actually puts you out there with the people that you're going to be working for. When we hire a graduate from Ivy Tech, we know that that individual is going to come to us very knowledgeable. A student can, in two years, get a degree that prepares him for a job. It's a partnership, and that's been great for us, and it's been great for them. I'm doing things now I never dreamed I'd be doing years ago. Do you want an investment that is sure to pay off? For Hoosier businesses, there's no better deal than membership in the Indiana Chamber. Members get free sales leads, human resource consulting, and access to a PR resource center. And that's just for starters. The Indiana Chamber is 800,000 employees and 5,000 companies strong, with room for many more. Take advantage today to receive benefits that will help your company thrive. Call 800-824-6885 or visit indianachamber.com. I'm a single woman with a full-time job and a high credit score, but was recently turned down for a loan. I was denied a promotion where I worked because of a previous injury. I couldn't get into the grocery store because the entrance was not wheelchair accessible. The Indiana Civil Rights Commission reminds you that discrimination still happens. If you feel that you have been the victim of discrimination, call the Indiana Civil Rights Commission at 1-866-332-4748 or visit our website at in.gov backslash ICRC. This message is brought to you by the State of Indiana Civil Rights Commission. Welcome back to Indian Issues. I'm your host, Abdul Kim Shabazi, editor and publisher of IndyPolitics.org. Well, the midterm elections were this past week, so was there a red wave or a blue wave or both? That's just one of the questions we asked our political panel pundits this week. Republican Jim Merritt, Democrat Ariel Brande, and Brad Kloppenstein of the Lawrence Chamber of Commerce. Well, the election, midterm elections have come and gone, but what were the results? What happened to the red wave? Was it a red red ripple? Or what's going on? What's happened here locally and also across the state of Indiana? And so joining us to talk about all this stuff is our good friend, uh, Republican, uh, former state senator, Jim Merritt. Jim, good morning. How's it good going? Good morning. Good morning. Brad Kloppenstein, the Greater Lawrence Chamber of Commerce. Brad, my friend, good to see you again. Good morning, Abdul. And joining us for the first time on the program, but hopefully not the last time, Ariel Brandy, a uh, very good, very proud Democrat uh, who also did some work for some Democratic candidates. Ariel, thank you very much for being with us. She joins us by phone uh, from the South Bend area. Ariel, thanks for being with yes. us today. Hi, everyone. Thank you for having me, Abdul. All righty. Uh, so let's go around the table. We'll go ahead and start. Uh, Jim, we'll ask with you, uh, what were your impressions of uh, this past Tuesday's midterm elections? Straight ticket voting. <laughs> I look at my friend Klopp. Uh, <laughs> Good night, everybody. We're done. <laughs> it, um, uh, it, it Nationally, it wasn't the red wave that most of the pundits and a lot of people were expecting. And in, in Indiana, uh, it's a red state. Uh, Marion County is a blue county. I know that very, very seriously. And <laughs> would you like to remind the listeners how how well you know that? <laughs> you got to laugh, right? <laughs> and uh, and uh, but Marion County, uh, Cindy ran a, a great race for Marion County prosecutor, uh, but it is a blue county, and uh, it's going to take somebody special running for mayor. If only that we knew somebody in 2023, was well known, yeah, had, had crosses, a microphone. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get we'll get that part of the program at the, near the, near the end of the show. Ariel, what were your thoughts on Tuesday's midterm elections? 
I mean, Jim hit it right on the head. Straight party voting was, uh, unfortunately, I think what did not lead us to, you know, some more bluer counties around the state. Um, but I will say I am very proud that we were able to pick up, you know, two of our uh, seats in the House and the Senate with Andrea Hunley running for state Senate. And right now still awaiting, but I think we're, we've got it, Victoria Garcia-Wilburn to bring two women of color, younger women into the state house to be a voice. I mean, those were two races that I was closely following. We knew that Ryan Mears had it. I got asked probably every time I got on TV the past couple of weeks, and I was like, we got this. And we proved um, to be true. So I was very excited about that. Um, but when it comes to the top of the ticket, so many tough losses. I mean, from McDermott and most especially Destiny Scott Wells, was really hoping that we could pull that off with our Secretary of State's race. But unfortunately, we know that we are a red state, but I think we made some pretty good gains as Democrats in areas that were needed. Uh, Jim, from a national perspective, uh, there were sort of two competing narratives. There was the inflation, gas prices narrative on the one side. Then on the other side, there was the uh, abortion, uh, sort of threats to democracy, election deniers. Uh, did, they just, did they just sort of cancel each other out from, from a national perspective? Not, not, not talk about necessarily the state of Indiana. I, I think they did. I think the abortion issue, uh, it, back when this special session happened in this last summer, I thought it was going to be um, a big impact then it kind of ebbed, and then it flowed, and uh, it it played a role um, around the country, and, and and little did everybody know, Indiana's the only one that acted on it. I thought Kyle Walker uh, ran a great race for the state senate. I uh, um, I thought that abortion would play a role there, but he ran a great race, and uh, and and the um, inflation, uh, and the issues that are confronting people with crime. Uh, probably played a role in um, specific districts around the country. But in, in the end, Abdul, I think you're right. They canceled each other out in lots of aspects. Ariel, let me get your thoughts on that. Uh, abortion, threats to democracy versus you know crime, inflation, gas prices. They, they just... Uh, a lot of folks say that there was going to be a red wave or a blue wave. I say there would be like a red undercurrent and a blue undercurrent. <laughs> it just sort of depends on which, yeah. one you get, which one you get caught in. Exactly. Well, I will say, I think we saw across the country, and I am a proud youth voter. You know, I am, you know, in the young Democrat age, and we saw all across the country that young people came out, and their issue was abortion. And in those areas where people thought that it wasn't going to be a having talking point, it was, and it was what propelled us into not seeing that red wave that happened. Um, you know, I work closely with the young people across the country serving in Young Dems of America, and that was an issue that they cared about. But it wasn't only just that. It was the election denier stuff. They care about saving their democracy. So I think it definitely was a toss-up. I know here in Indiana it probably may not have been the top issue. It should have been, but it unfortunately wasn't. But across the country where we needed it to be able to still gain control of the House and the Senate, we saw that happen. Uh, Brad, let me get your thoughts on the, the, the immovable object of, of inflation and gas prices versus the irresistible force of abortion and threats to the democracy. Yeah, ultimately, I, I don't – I mean, everybody kind of bunkered down on this election cycle, and everybody kind of stuck with their teams, and that's how these elections went. And I mean, those were issues, but I don't know that anybody was willing to necessarily change their typical voting habits – simply because those issues were out there. There was probably a few suburban women that switched from red to blue um, because of that. I, honestly, I, I thought more people were going to go towards libertarians on this cycle. I, I thought that they, they, 
the electorate would be fed up and say enough of these. Well, they're good candidates. They had good candidates this year. So, and and that—that's the elephant in the room for me. Libertarians put out a couple spectacular candidates, and it barely moved the needle. And it's like, all right, what is it going to take if clearly, at least in the Secretary of State's race, Jeff Moore was far and away the best candidate running, and he barely ticked the needle. And I just kind of throw my hands up in the air and say, all right, what what does the electorate need to actually vote for good, qualified people? Yes, that's my question, too. I've been literally spinning my wheels since election night trying to figure it out myself um, because I agree. We have some great libertarian candidates on the ballot. I am a strong Dem, but they gave us a run for our money. I will say that. Oh, yeah. And Ariel, you saw it with Destiny Wells. I mean, there's no reason that she shouldn't be secretary of state right now. Uh, on that, on the whole issue, though, uh, of, of libertarians, and we'll get this a little bit more in the program, uh, is it just a matter, Brad, of you know, you've got good candidates, but can a good candidate really do all that much without the financial resources and the, and the statewide organization that they need it, to, to, to prosper? It's certainly a big factor. And, I mean, if, if you look at the campaign finance reports for the Republican and Democrat candidates, and this could be in almost any race, you are going to see a lot of the same people and a lot of the same organizations show up on both of those reports. So if you're a libertarian candidate, you're going into a big race like Secretary of State knowing that your opponents have probably $150,000 in money that are coming from people who are mostly just buying access and influence as opposed to truly supporting a candidate. So, yeah, libertarians always start off in a hole and just overcoming that. Then there's the perception that, oh, libertarians can't win or they take votes from anybody. Last time I checked, one vote counts for one vote. Yeah. But money is the mother's milk of politics. Uh, it is. It Actually, is. I say money is a, is a crack cocaine of politics, <laughs> or the methamphetamine of politics, or the fentanyl of, politi- of politics. <laughs> well, it's not killing it, is it? <laughs> well, I, to, to a certain degree, you could argue it, it, it might be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. Money, uh, money can uh, can <laughs> it it can really help uh, a campaign, but the overall uh, political. Um, field if you will the the industry of politics money is uh it it, it's it can be a real negative force oh well it it can be heck i couldn't open my oven this election cycle without seeing an ad for kyle walker (laughs) (laughs) so i mean a mailer you cook a lot. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, shoot, everywhere I look, there's, oh, there's Kyle Walker. Yeah, it, it, it was mailers. It was on TV. I mean, I think he was on the milk cartons, I think. <laughs> and so, yeah. And it, and it makes you wonder, is that what, for right now in Indiana, is that what voters want? Someone that they constantly see, the name that they recognize over and over and over again? Is that what sticks for them to say, well, I've seen this name a lot of times, and I know I'm going to vote straight party, so we're just going to go with that. I mean, bringing it back to the good quality of a candidate. I mean, we had some really great candidates, and unfortunately, it just didn't stick for voters. So what does the Indiana electorate need in order to move forward and for us to have good people representing us? Yeah, that's a good question. And and if you look, what people respond to is quickly changing, and it's not necessarily going to be TV and radio in the future, and figuring out how to reach people where they are. And there's more ways to access people, yet fewer and fewer voters, I believe, are knowledgeable about who they're voting for. Our guests on yeah. the program today are Republican Jim Merritt, Democrat Ariel Brandy, and our good friend Brad Kloppenstein from the Lawrence Chamber of Commerce, sort of doing a recap of this past midterm election. So we sort of go through and do do sort of a post-mortem uh, on the election. Uh, let's turn our attention uh, to Indiana. Uh, Todd Young, Jim, we'll start with you. Obviously, uh, Todd Young did very well uh, in the last election. Uh, 
59 percent uh, to Tom McDermott's 37 percent to James Siniak, 3.5 uh, percent. There was some question. We did some polling earlier this year. Uh, Tom McDermott, uh, we did some polling. There's only like a three, four point difference. Uh, did Republicans just come home uh, near the end? Yeah, uh, you you had me on one of your shows right after that poll. And I and I told everybody he was going to win at least sixty five percent of the vote, and um, everybody poo pooed that. But but he did win fifty nine or sixty percent, and uh, so I was wrong. But I still believe it was going to be a rout. Uh, I, I no one knew McDermott south of I thirty in Lake County, and um, and Todd Young runs a, a, a stellar constituent operation in his office and he's played a role in washington and he's been back he he in the last six years he has uh done a very good job of making sure that everybody in indiana uh knows that he is working hard in washington and working hard for them in his district offices uh brad yeah so i i kind of agree with jim i mean i know it's shocking (laughs) that i'm agreeing with jim Merritt, but so i do something called chamber chat up in in the lawrence chamber of commerce and it's just a little podcast and you know interview interesting people both abdul and jim Merritt have been on there as guests in the past i've had two elected officials who specifically reached out to me saying can i do that with you guys one of them was ryan mears which i thought was a little bit interesting the other one was todd young Mm-hmm. And the fact that he's getting into the nitty-gritty and reaching out to Chambers of Commerce, that is why Todd Young won. Mm-hmm. And you're right. He does do a very good job of connecting with people. Mm-hmm. It's the Senator Luger model. Yeah. Uh, that's why he was in office so, for so very long, because he did the job in Washington and he j- did the job in Indiana. Ariel, your thoughts on the on the U.S. Senate race here in Indiana? Obviously, uh, not, a, not, a, not, not, a, not a bright spot for Democrats. Yeah, well, I mean, I have had the honor of being able to, you know, be a part of that campaign. And, you know, I know that we worked very hard. We knew what we were up against running against an incumbent who had the name ID and had been running for a while. And, you know, you guys are right. McDermott was really well known up in northern Indiana. And we had to make our way across the state. And we did that in the best of our ability. And I think that, you know, when we looked at the speech that Mayor McDermott gave um, on election night where he encouraged Hoosier voters, regardless of what side of the aisle you're on, to get behind Senator Todd Young and and hold him accountable and make sure that he's answering to the needs that we have because it's needed for our state. I thought that that was very commendable of him. He's always been a man of integrity. And we ran a strong race. The thing that we came up against, and we were just talking about this, we did not have national attention. We did not have the help from the DNC in order to get us to where we needed to be, um, to be as successful as we wanted to. Money played a part in this, um, and we did not have all of the resources that we needed um, in order to get the job done. But I will say our field game, getting around the state, talking with voters, and being able to reach people on both sides of the aisles, we did that. I'm very proud of the campaign that we ran. Uh, we knew what we were up against, but we gave it everything that we had, and um, I commend Mayor Tom for taking up the fight to run against um, an incumbent like Todd Young. Ariel, let me ask you, uh, was there any place in Indiana that you guys did better, let's say, uh, obviously not Lake and Marion County, because you guys, you guys are going to do well in both those places. Any place in Marion County where you see, where you saw like, hey, we did better, than say uh, you know six years ago in, in the last U.S. Senate race, or maybe maybe there's a place where we can maybe focus a little bit more, maybe get some more gains, or are you guys still going through the data? Still going through the data. I mean, I think we're all still waiting on that, and that's one of the things that I can't wait to see. I can't wait to see till everything is certified and we can really dig through it. 
Um, but I will say, you know, in those areas where they have been, you know, more bluer in the past, we did see some of those areas shift more towards red. And I think that even though we saw that, uh, we were able to see Tom pick up some of that. So I'm interested to see where all the data lies at the end of the day. That's what I'm looking forward to as a political junkie. I'm like, can we please look at all of this? Because I want to compare. <laughs> uh, Jim, let me ask you, uh, when Todd Young, he got about uh, 1.06 million uh, votes, which was actually less than Tara Klutz, who got uh, 1.23 million, and also uh, Dan Elliott. Uh, I'm sorry, no, I'll, t- I'll take that back. It was relatively close to uh, Tara Klutz and Dan Elliott both got. Uh, you, you're, normally, there, there's, there's a drop-off. Uh, any thoughts on his votes compared to the other statewide? I, I, you know, um, I, I don't know the answer to that question. I, I think that, uh, and what you're saying is Todd had less votes. Uh, 1.06 million. Uh, Tara Klutz had 1.023. Dan Elliott had 1.065. Okay. I... I uh, um, maybe there's a possibility that the, uh, the the statewide ticket was everywhere, and they were as a team. And and you know Diego worked for two years, one, you know just ripping around the state. And and I know Dan and Kara were right there. Or Tara, excuse me, were there um, and, and a constant. And um, and Todd lives in Washington a lot of the time, so. I, I don't know what the answer to that is. It's it, it's a very interesting. Maybe it's a phenomenon. But uh, bottom line is is that that uh, he won, and uh, that is a that is somewhat of a difference. And maybe that that uh, that uh, Dan Elliott and and Tara were um, out and about a lot more because they lived here. Uh, Brad, let me get your thoughts on uh, James Simniak. Really, really nice guy, but just didn't quite cut the mustard uh, for this race. Yes. So James Siniak, fantastic guy. He would have been great had he won that U.S. Senate race. However, you can tell that he was a first-time candidate. And I hate to say it, I love James, but that was one of the worst performances I've ever seen in a debate. And that was his opportunity to really step up and establish himself and say, these are this is why these other two candidates suck. And in <laughs> fact, it went the opposite direction. So it's... I, I hope that James runs for something again. I hope he's learned from this. But, um, yeah, it's... What, what's the mistake for Libertarians to nominate James Simniak for someone who, who's never run for public office before? At least uh, Andy Horney, Rebecca St. Burris, you know, Mark Rutherford, Mike Cole, all, all those guys had some experience running for office, running for statewide office before. Um, yeah, the, the alternative at convention was much worse. <laughs> <laughs> who was the alternative? Uh, I'd rather not say. <laughs> you can dig that up if you want. <laughs> Was it Bill Levin? Bill Levin ran for governor a couple years ago. This supposed to be informative radio club. <laughs> Our guests on the program today are Republican Jim Merritt, Brad Kloppenstein, the Greater Lawrence Chamber of Commerce, and Ariel Brandy, uh, staunch Democrat. Uh, talk, sort of doing our, our post-election post-mortem uh, of the most recent election. Okay, let's talk about the Secretary of State's race because that's the one that's on. That uh, if anyone thought that Democrats had a shot at winning, uh, it would have been that one. Uh, Ariel, we'll start with you. Uh, what happened? Why didn't Destiny just break through that break through that uh, political glass ceiling, so to speak? I mean, I uh, we talked about it in the beginning. Straight ticket voting. I mean, people. I don't know if they just weren't watching the news, didn't read the paper, were not paying attention to what was going on with the Republican candidate Diego Morales, but. I'm really starting to question whether or not voters are actually wanting good quality candidates and they're paying attention to the people that are actually on the ballot. I mean, we had someone who 
testified from the office in which he was trying to seek, accused of sexual assault, uh, lied about his military record. The list went on and on for this candidate, and it still ended up being the choice of majority of Hoosiers. And it's very unfortunate. We had a great candidate in Destiny Scott Wells. I mean, she is a phenomenal woman. She has served this country. She knew exactly what we needed, um, and she was earning the support of not only just Democrats and Republicans, but also libertarians, too. And so um, she ran a strong race. And that was another one where having some national support and being able to have more resources would have really uh, propelled us forward in the way that we needed to. But I think that right now what Hoosiers need to do is they need to be concerned about what's going to happen with the secretary of state's office. I mean, we have to be paying attention to what's happening and we have to hold Diego accountable if that's going to be the person that's going to represent us. And I think when we move forward um, in our next election cycles, people should be looking at the integrity of the person that is looking to seek this office and allegations and everything that was put forth to us that should be taken into consideration when we're going to the ballot box. Uh, Jim, the, the, the Diego Morales controversies, the, the getting fired from the office, the car, the military record, the sexual assault conduct allegations, now the, now the latest one, which is the, the voter fraud allegations, was that just basically a central Indiana story? Yes, I think uh, our old friend Potch Wheeler, who was state senator from Laurel, Indiana, um, it, it, he he got stopped at a at a at a function and and uh, they said, "Is the Indianapolis Star a, a Indianapolis nightclub?" I mean, they, they they didn't even know what the Indianapolis Star actually was, and so it, I I believe it was a Central Indiana. I think I think the Indianapolis Star itself was a little obsessed with this, and and there is a distrust of the media that um, is prevalent. And uh, and I think I think Diego, I said this recently. Diego brought a lot of people into the Republican Party, and specifically the state convention as delegates. He and and being Hispanic, and and we have uh, made uh, inroads into the Hispanic community, not only in Indiana but uh, America. And so I, I think those problems that that were um, reported on him, those you know people re, refer to a scandal, but the issues that that he he was confronted with for the last six months didn't really dent him. He he uh, he had a he had a force out there. He was a good fundraiser, and and it goes back to what Ariel and, and I said in the beginning: a straight ticket voting. Brad, your thoughts. Uh, well, my first thought is, Ariel, next time that you're in Indianapolis, we're going to grab Destiny Scott Wells and Jeff Moore, and the four of us are going to go out and do shots. And every time, the first time we do a shot, we're going to say, effing Diego. And the next shot we do, we're going to say, effing straight ticket voting. Because Diego is possibly the worst candidate I have ever seen on a statewide ballot from any party ever. Are you yeah. sure? <laughs> okay, well, I take it. Doctor Oz was pretty bad. There was a okay. Herschel Walker's pretty bad, um, but the, maybe not ever. But bad. Charlie White was pretty bad. Um, and, and the fact that yes, libertarians couldn't get traction. I at least thought that race was going to be close. I mean, it yeah. was what eighteen or twenty points. It, Fourteen it, points. You got. You got to also think about. No one really knew who Destiny Wells is because the concentration was on Diego. Correct. You're right. So his name. People ID want to was, vote for somebody. His name ID was through the roof because everybody else was going negative on him. However, it was negative for a reason, mm -hmm. and I firmly believe that 
we'll be doing this this time next year, and there will be somebody else as Secretary of State. I just don't think he's going to survive all these controversies. And it goes back to what I've been saying all along. I still don't think the dude can show up and actually work the job. Mm -hmm. Well, there is something to that with the last 50 years. Um, way back when Ed Sim, before Ed Simcox was Secretary of State, all, all that person did, that leader did, was um, protect the seal of Indiana. Now it's widespread, and it's it's a big job being Secretary of State, and I don't think many people know that. Right. I, I think Kyle Hupfer, it's going to be on him to get somebody in there who can truly run that office so that if Diego manages to survive, there's somebody who's competent who's at least calling the shots. Uh, Ariel, let me get your thoughts on this because uh, – Obviously, Diego did win uh, the Secretary of State's race in part because of straight ticket voting. Uh, but once again, looking at the sort of the statewide numbers, uh, Tara Klutz, 1.023 million, Dan Elliott, 1.065 million. Diego Morales only got uh, 954,000 votes. So apparently, some Republicans must have crossed over. Yeah, I think they did. I think that Republicans, um, and we've talked about this before, I think Republicans really had a choice in this race with three great candidates that were, well, not three, but two great candidates that were running um, from the Democrat side and the Libertarian side. So if you're a Republican who is not going to vote for a Dem, you know, at least you had your Libertarian candidate that you could choose from. Um, and I think what we saw there, and I had been saying this for a while, Destiny had been earning the support of Republicans who just absolutely were not going to vote for Diego. Now, I looked at the numbers in my county. I'm up here in St. Joe County. And Destiny Cratwell did really well up here in St. Joe. Uh, Diego, not so much. Jeff did, uh, you know, pretty well as two. But Destiny was the one who came out on top. And when you're looking at the numbers for all the other statewide races, Destiny was the only one who actually was able on the Democrat side to secure the votes here in St. Joe County. That is majority, most of the time, pretty deep blue. But unfortunately, we did see uh, Republicans carry over here. But Destiny was the one who came out on top when you look at that race. So I think that she was carrying some of those votes from the Republican Party. And we saw that in those numbers. I think there were people who were like, absolutely not, no Diego. Um, and they had a choice between Destiny and Jeff, and uh, voters had to make a decision, and I think that they did that. Uh, Jim, your thoughts on those Republicans who crossed over? Well, you know, I had several people, because I've been in politics forever, people ask me, well, well it was so hard and when they went into the voting booth, if, if you will, uh, to to it was so much easier to just go straight ticket and 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 uh the way people talk to me about it is that they really had to work hard to scratch uh, uh for the secretary of state's office a republican would um obviously uh the uh, the the um, accusations the allegations everything that um, were, were put together in the last six months hurt Diego. And that's what you saw was people either not voting for anybody or, or crossing over and voting for someone else. And uh, it hurt him. There's no question about it. But it didn't hurt him enough. And those straight ticket voters, it, 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 the simplicity in their minds of voting state t uh, ticket uh, carried the day. Well, and Jim brings up an interesting point. We have a problem in Indiana because I saw this in Marion County. Sounds like you saw it in Hamilton County where you go in and there's an electronic screen and the very first screen that comes up is the straight ticket voting screen and it implies that you have to select a party before you go on to the next screen and vote for any other offices. Mm -hmm. And I don't, you know, it, it's intimidating. You only vote, what, 
once a year maybe or every other year and you know a lot of people go in there and this is all new to them and they just want to click through it they're they're looking for their people and they get to that screen and they're like what do i do i guess i gotta select a party before i can can move on and by then you know it's already happened and somehow we need to change that because it is doing a disservice to the process uh, one of the things I noticed, too, uh, in the most recent election results, and, and the election are, is, it hasn't been certified yet as the time we record uh, our conversation here, uh, but up in Hamilton County, which is sort of ground zero for uh, Republican politics here in the state of Indiana, Destiny Wells only lost by four points, 48 uh, to 44. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jim, you're up in Hamilton County. I is, am. Should that be a warning sign to Hamilton County Republicans or to Republicans as a whole that the, that the that potentially ground zero is changing, becoming more blue, or at least more purple. Big, big check mark. Um, the uh, Mario up in up in the uh, Hamlin County Republican Party uh, needs to, uh, and I'm sure that he sees that. I I think that um, um, our friends Donna Shibley and Jerry Tor and and uh, you know with the school board, I, I think uh, Carmel uh, like Fishers like Zionsville, um, is having a tent of blue coming. And I think, uh, it, like, for instance, with Victoria Wilburn winning uh, in, in that district, that was a Republican district against Fred. Uh, it, it, it was, it, it's, it's, if I'm Scott Fadness today, I'm looking at the numbers, I'm looking at the precincts in Fishers to um, see where we've got some situations that need to be taken care of in the next year. Ariel, your thoughts on uh, Destiny Wells coming basically within four points, uh, winning Hamilton County? Yeah, that county is turning more and more purple every election cycle, and we're getting closer and closer to flipping it. I mean, uh, between Victoria's race and just the robust operation that the Hamilton Democratic Party had, uh, they had a very good coordinated effort going with all of their candidates um, from the top of the ticket all the way down. And so even when you're looking at Um, other races in that area, they were pretty close with Republicans. It wasn't too far off that, you know, Democrats were, you know, not going to be able to flip the seat. So I do definitely think that as we are going into our next election cycle, we are seeing that that is becoming more of a purple area of the state and less and less red as we go. Um, Not only are the Democratic candidates able to, you know, talk to Republicans in that area, but they're earning their votes. And I don't think it's necessarily at that point in time, you know, party. I think it's what are the values? What do we need to get done for the county in which we are living in or the district in which we are living in? And how can we get that done regardless of party affiliation? And I think we're seeing that, um, especially in Hamilton County. Brent? So there's one other factor that I found interesting just going through the election results afterwards. And Jim had mentioned the star and just the newspapers have less of an influence than they did 20 years ago. Um, there was... And even there's not a, as many talk radio stations. There's not as many news outlets that are covering politics. Uh, and Central Indiana, WIBC, still does a very good job, and they brought all the candidates on. And I thought it was interesting. Jeff Moore's numbers, within 60 miles of Monument Circle, which is basically the signal radius for WIBC, 17 of those 19 counties, he, he got 7% or better. And in those other two counties, he was just below 7%. Outside of that radius, he only topped 7% in one county. And that is definitely a radio factor. I mean, those numbers, that's not an accident. And that we thought happened. that he might win a couple counties. I, I figured he'd at least finish second yeah. um, just based on the election results in the governor's race mm-hmm. from two years ago. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, he, he was over 10 in a few counties. Had the Libertarians gotten 10% in the Secretary of State's race, 
we'd be part of the primaries moving forward. So now we got to wait another four years before that happens. Our guests on the program today are Republican Jim Merritt, Democrat Ariel Brandy, uh, our good friend Brad Klappestein from the Greater Lawrence Chamber of Commerce. Says we're sort of doing a post-election, post-mortem uh, on the recent uh, midterm elections. Uh, it's interesting uh, because, as you all know, uh, Diego Morales has been accused of voter fraud. State police are, are looking at it. They've, they've requested copies of the, of the residency laws. Uh, Jim, I'll ask you the, the uncomfortable question. Do you expect Diego Morales to finish out his term? <laughs> he hadn't been sworn in yet. Um, I, I think he will. I, I, it, it's hard to tell exactly what the, those accusations are, and, and, and I'm not a part of their team. Uh, uh, however... Uh, it's something that I mean we're we're all about um, we're all about um, being above the law and and so we're just gonna have to wait to see what what happens with the allegations and and how that plays out. Uh, I I certainly hope that that uh, he does he, he is sworn in. We know he will be sworn in and he serves out his four year term because that is a very important office and and. Um, you know, 944,000 people believe that he should be the Secretary of State. Brad? So, I, I obviously, we know the gaffes that he's made, and they are numerous. Um, there is definitely going to be an investigation on whether or not there was voter fraud. And it, this is the same thing that tripped up Charlie White a dozen years ago. Um, Ian, we don't know what gaffes Diego might make in the future. Uh, I'm looking around this room and I see a Jim Merritt who's got a little extra time on his hands and make a great Secretary of State. So I, I'm just going to drop that nugget out there that Republicans, when when the time comes, give Jim a call. Thanks, Club. Ariel, your your thoughts on? Uh, do you think Diego will finish out his term? I mean, it's very hard to tell right now. I mean, obviously, we'll have to wait for you know this whole process to play out. I think that. Unfortunately, we might end up with a situation in which he might not. And then voters are not going to be, you know, with the person that they essentially picked for. And then that kind of damper on democracy. And then it makes people, unfortunately, feel as if their vote doesn't count. And then we're in a repeated cycle, again, of voters in Indiana not wanting to turn out because they picked this voter. And then, unfortunately, they don't understand the process of what happens when someone is removed from office. So, you know, we'll have to see how things play out. Unfortunately, I really wish that it would have been destiny because she would have come in. She would have been able to finish her term. Uh, no allegations or no lies um, entailed in the process. So I guess we'll have to see how things go. But I really hope that this time around, the voters will be able to have a say in this process. And unfortunately, we don't know if that's essentially going to happen. Now, Ariel, some people do understand how this process works. And I, I cannot believe this logic. I heard on more than one occasion somebody saying, well, I voted for Diego just so that the Republicans would have an opportunity to replace him with another Republican. How messed up is that logic? Oh, yeah, it's, it's really messed up. But then for the people that, you know, that don't understand the process, they're so confused. And then they're like, OK, well, then. Why did I vote? Why, why should I come out? Um, and then it's also a disservice to our candidates who run. I mean, you have to think about all of the time and effort that these candidates give to be able to run for a year plus. And unfortunately, you know, they give their time, their talent and their treasure to be able to travel across the state and to earn the support of voters. And then a situation like this happens. Um, and it, it's, it's sad. You know, what's interesting, time. Klopp, Ariel and Abdul, um, back 22 years ago, Governor Mel Carnahan in the state of Missouri, the show me state, died in, in, in a plane, plane crash. crash. I was in law school when it happened. Yeah, and in the middle, middle of October, and uh, Missouri, 
uh, elected a dead man, uh, the governor who was running for the U.S. Senate, to the U.S. Senate. And in turn, the new governor uh, named Gene Carnahan as the new uh, United States senator. And so uh, stranger things have happened. That's true. That's true. Because it was actually, I remember this, because there was no way to take the dead person's name off the ballot yeah, it, was it just never October happened 15th or something like that. yeah it was like way too late because mm-hmm. people had already started early voting so they just said we'll just keep him on there and then if he wins we'll just appoint his wife to the to the job because yeah. remember the little buttons i'm still with mel <laughs> were, yeah. wow yeah it actually happened so you know and people they, they voted for a dead man uh, exactly uh want to change gears a little bit uh Jim Merritt, uh, Ariel Brandy, uh, Brad Clapp is with us on the program day as we sort of do a post-election, uh, post-analysis of everything. Uh, obviously, uh, Congress, nothing changed in Indiana. Everybody got uh, reelected. However, there was some question in the, in the first congressional district as to whether Frank Mervan would actually uh, beat Jennifer Ruth Green. Turns out he did, 53-47 uh, and change. Uh, Ariel, I want to get your thoughts on this because I noticed uh, that Frank Mervan won Lake County, but he lost Porter and LaPorte counties by just by, by less than two percentage points. Yes. I mean, if this is not a signal for the Democratic Party to get it together in CD1, I think this is. For me, being a strong Dem, you know, I have said over and over again, Frank had this. He was going to pull through. This is going to happen. But this is a very close margin for a very once what once was a very deep blue part of the state. Um, should we be concerned? Should be, we be looking at um, the change of the electorate and also the values of people up there? Absolutely. Um, as someone who you know served in Congress, you know, with having Frank and bringing all of these um, secured bills to the state of Indiana when it came to infrastructure and the American Rescue Plan, the list went on for what he delivered for Hoosiers. But I think at the end of the day. Um, Hoosiers really had a choice, and the Republican Party ran a candidate who had a very robust and good campaign, and uh, they gave us a run for our money as Democrats. I will say that. The thing is, it's like we have to be concerned at what's happening in CD1. If the margin is that close, then we really need to be looking at what we as a party need to be doing better um, in CD1 in order to be able to keep that blue tide that we have up there. Uh, Jim, your thoughts what happened up in the 1st Congressional District? You know, when um, when we— when the, not we the, when the general assembly went to special session and started working on the abortion issue, uh, I I thought that um, Alex Choi, who was running against J D Ford for the Senate seat in Zionsville, Pike Township, I thought Kyle Walker was running for his first election, and I thought Jennifer Ruth Green all would be affected by uh, uh, putting the abortion issue out on on the uh, political landscape in Indiana. And uh, I hope Jennifer Ruth Green uh, runs again. I think she's a solid candidate. Uh, Frank Van was actually an intern in the Senate uh, many, many years ago and, and uh, represents his, his constituents well up there. But I think Jennifer Ruth Green ran a great uh, campaign. And I also think there are a lot of people that have moved from Illinois that that uh, work in Chicago, that are are, um, are conservative, and I think that I think that district has become more conservative, and um, and I think the Republican Party, just like the Democrat Party, all recognize the numbers up there, and um, and go at it again in two years in a presidential election. Brad, your thoughts on what happened up in CD1? I, I agree with, with Jim's assessment. There are a lot of conservatives that are moving out of Chicagoland who want to stay in that region, but they're going to Indiana just because Indiana somewhat has its act together compared to Illinois. Um, Jennifer Ruth Green is a fantastic candidate. Frank Mervan, not as much so. Um, I, I wonder 
if Tom McDermott might take a run at that congressional seat and somehow Frank Mervan is encouraged to step aside because I think that that would be a better play for the Democrats. Um, and, and I agree. I, Jennifer Ruth Green called me way back before the primary just to talk a little bit, and I, I find her to be fascinating. She's very intelligent, knows what's going on, and I think that she is a tribute to the process, and I would hate to lose somebody like that who is interested in public service. Uh, and looking at the rest of Indiana's sort of congressional landscape, uh, obviously all the incumbents won with the exception of Erin Houch, and she wasn't an incumbent, but she won her race. Uh, anything surprise you, any margins, or just – you, just what you'd expect. Uh, Jim, we'll start with you. Well, I think redistricting, uh, you never know what's going to happen. But uh, like, for instance, Victoria Sparks Congressional District is so compact now, and it does not have any Marion County. Uh, Congressman Carson has all of Marion County now. and Except uh, for the three southern townships. True. True. That, I'm, I apologize. That, that's exactly right. But he's more compact. And without those three townships, which are Republican townships, uh, that even makes him even more um, uh, tougher to beat. So uh, I, I didn't I didn't really get anything out of, uh, you know, Banks wins in a walk. We knew Aaron was strong. Uh, I, I think that that Bouchon has a, a, you know, has great constituent service. I don't believe there was any surprise whatsoever. I think um, it, it goes along with being a red state and the straight ticket voting. Uh, Ariel, uh, your thoughts on what happened across Indiana, the, the rest of the state, anything sort of surprise you or just it's what you expected to happen? All the incumbents got reelected uh, with the exception of Aaron Houchin, who was their first uh, first runner of uh, the U.S. office. Yeah, I think, you know, I'm here in D2. So uh, Jackie Walorski was my representative and. You know, this was a very unique election cycle for us up here, um, you know, having a newer candidate come and jump into the race after her thing and obviously um, that our new representative um, is going to be a Republican and he was newer to the race and he had a shorter amount of time to really come in and, you know, get himself noticeable. But the R's rallied behind him and unfortunately Paul Sterry on the D side didn't do as well as we thought he would. I was looking at the data compared to 2018, and 40% of Dems just didn't show up in the CD2 race, unfortunately. Um, obviously, those numbers may change as they become certified, but Democrats in those areas where we needed the support in order to kind of close that margin, they just didn't come out. Um, and so, unfortunately, you know, my district is still red, but I'm looking forward to working with our new representative um, and seeing how we can better serve the second congressional district because my eyes were all on CD2 and what was going to happen there. And you're absolutely right. Uh, Rudy Yakum, uh, it was his first uh, run at uh, office as well. Uh, Brad, your thoughts on anything statewide or at least with the congressional level that surprised you or, or didn't surprise you? No, that not a big surprises other than, you know, a couple months out, we started getting indications that Jennifer Ruth Green was going to make a run at the first congressional district. And that's a little surprising just because that's always been solidly blue. Um, statewide no real surprises I, I was hoping to be surprised at least in a couple races um at the legislative level and i don't know that this is necessarily a huge surprise just because of how they redistricted but terry austin had been a state rep for 20 years and to see her lose on election night is surprising because now i don't believe that there are any democrat representatives or senators from madison and delaware counties and that would have been unheard of 20 years ago so, yeah, that was surprising for yeah. sure for me. Yeah. Yep. So it, it's surprising just to see geographic shifts. And a lot of that has to do with manufacturing as it dries up in those communities. In Lake County, 
you don't have those traditional union areas to kind of prop up the Democrats, and and it's a shift in the uh, in in the population and who's getting elected. Uh, Jim, at the state level, uh, Terry Austin, uh, she lost. Uh, Miss Wilburn, she won her race. Uh, Rita Fleming down in the in the along the river. There are some questions as to whether she may uh, pull it off or not. Uh, anything surprise you at the state level? Uh, nothing. Nothing really surprised me. The state, the Wilburn win. Um, knowing that Delaware Township and Fishers has become um, purple, and that was added to uh, my old district, Senator, Senator Walker's new district, that, that was a, just a bit of a surprise because Susie Javorowski and and Fred Glenn went at it so hard, and there were six votes in between. Uh, but uh, on the state level, that you know, uh, Todd Houston's going to be the speaker, and Rod Bray's going to be the pro tem, and and uh and both are have super majorities and uh the the terry austin uh the, that campaign surprised me uh but she had a great opponent kyle kyle pierce is a mm-hmm. terrific opponent and so um not a whole lot of surprises that that uh, went on I, I will say that i i saw incredible apathy in my travels around the state in school board races there was no apathy whatsoever in those races <laughs> and we'll get that in just a second uh ariel let me get your thoughts anything sh- shock you surprise you at the state level uh state center state house yeah i mean we're all very excited about victoria's race andrea hunley i'm looking right now at some of the numbers um i don't know if you guys are paying attention to the race down in southern indiana against tall and giffins that was closer than i expected it to be um i know it was called for hall but if you're looking at the percentage of votes 49.9 percent for giffins penny giffins and 50.1 percent for hall that is a very close race i know it was um one of the newer redistricted areas of the state but that was one that i was just looking at and those numbers were really close uh, let's uh, turn our attention to school board. we got uh, a couple minutes left here. Uh, uh, Jim Merritt, Ariel Brandy, uh, Brad Klopp Center, guests of the program today as we sort of do a post-mortem analysis uh, of the uh, the midterm elections. Uh, school boards, obviously, uh, school boards are, the, are the cl- about, about the closest as you can get to to, to, to the voters in a, in a midterm election. Uh, Jim, uh, how about uh, – uh, your thoughts on what just happened in Indiana with the school board race? I know there was a big change up in Hamilton, Southeastern, uh, slight change in Carmel, but I think those were like those are only the big places that, that that folks talked about. Passion. There's a lot of passion, and uh, and there were uh, two or three different camps uh, in in Carmel. They they uh, had a situation where a conserv- two conservatives ran and they split the vote and lost. Uh, I, I think this. Uh, it's really interesting to me because Ball State uh, is is affiliated with Muncie Schools. They came in and and took them over. The legislature allowed that. They actually have an appointed school board, and they went from twelve million dollars in the red to uh, a very well run functioning um, uh, school system, school corporation, and that's up. You know, the superintendent up there is wonderful, and and but but it's a team up there. And, and and now we have these races in the color counties that are that are they, they say they're not partisan but but if you look at the numbers with how much money IPACE, the the, the pack for the ISCA uh, gave to candidates including school board members was eight hundred thousand dollars that is partisan and so what we, 
as well as I saw Senator Grove has to have, uh, they had somebody quit the school board just yesterday, and now they're going to have to caucus the school board and, and put somebody on the school board through a caucus, not an election. And so uh, I think a lot of attention needs to be paid to school boards uh, from now going forward. And we should have an independent. We should have a Democrat and we should have a Republican or we ought to go towards an appointed like uh, Muncie schools. I think change is needed because of the passion that's going on there. Uh, Ari, let me get your thoughts on on a on a on a on a, on a partisan school board uh, election. Uh, Democrats, Republicans, Libertarians, or should it or should it, or does or does partisanship really matter, or should it say the same? I think partisanship definitely played a part this time around. I mean, we saw a lot of the issues that were happening at the state house um, just this past general session um, were centered around education and CRT and the concern for students learning about critical race theory, which we knew wasn't happening. But the thing is, is that now it has sparked this extreme side of people wanting to run for these school board races because they want to be able to stop this from happening to their kids. And I just want to get back to where people care about what's happening in the classroom, how we can administer things in our in our schools and, and really represent what the parents want and need. I'm a mom of school-age kids, and I would just love to be able to say that I have, can have full trust in my school board to be able to make the best decisions for my students. And having this partisanship conversation and these extreme views that come from the state house down to our school board level, I mean, Let's talk about teacher pay, <laughs> how we can make sure that our educators are taken care of in the classroom. That's, that's what we really need to be focused on. All right, let me get your thoughts on school boards because you got a unique perspective because you're actually married to a teacher. I am. Um, well, I agree with both Ariel and Jim, which means that schools should not be a partisan issue, and they are making them a partisan issue. And I agree with Ariel. CRT is a false flag. It is not a state standard. It is not a, it's not a core curriculum. Teachers are not allowed to be talking about it. If you think that there's a teacher in your community who's teaching critical race theory, theory, report them to the school board because they're not allowed to do it. Tell the state that they're doing it because they're not allowed to do it. Um, but I, I kind of agree with where Jim was going. School boards maybe should be appointed. You have a property owner representative who's representing the taxpayers. You have a parent representative and you have a representative from the teachers who all sit down and they decide how we're going to run schools. But I, I hate the politicization of children in mm -hmm. schools. And that is mm -hmm. absolutely what is happening. And I look at it nowhere more than Hamilton County where they have great schools and great outcomes where people more up in arms saying that things are terrible. Like, Get over yourselves. Your kid's an honor student, and he's going to be going to college, and you're saying he's not getting a good education? Bull. <laughs> All righty. <laughs> uh, we've got just a couple minutes left here. Uh, real quickly, uh, the, the Marion County Prosecutor's Race, because this will be right on our statewide uh, radio network, so I didn't want to spend a whole lot of time on that. Uh, the Marion County Prosecutor's Race, uh, Jim, uh, shocked, at the shocked at the outcome? Uh, no, I'm not. Uh, Cindy ran a great race, but as a – I served as Marion County Republican chairman for a couple of years, and I, I, I know the precincts, and I know the strong points and the and the weak points of the organization, and, and uh, it's difficult to run countywide in Marion County. And uh, for those that are thinking about running for mayor, um, 
in the Republican Party really need to take a deep dive on on what's going on and and it's 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 difficult there's no question about it and and it's got it, the, the 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 person running for mayor has to catch a wave and a lot like uh, Ballard did when I chaired his campaign in 2007 the property tax wave which mayor Pearson didn't have anything to do with but we 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 rode that wave and um, and he won and so uh, the the prosecutor race is confounding because we have so much violent crime, we have so much theft, we have so much uh, criminal activity in Marion County, and the prosecutor's at the hub, at, at the heart and soul of that, along uh, with the law enforcement. He is law enforcement in a lot of regards, so it's um, I'm pretty passionate about it, and I care about the future of Indianapolis, and and I want our leadership to understand that people don't feel safe walking around the city of Indianapolis, and that's really our golden goose. That is what runs the state of Indiana uh, financially. It's incredible. Probably 30, 35 percent of um, the general fund monies come from Marion County, so we need a solid governance, and we need to feel safe. Uh, Ariel, uh, your thoughts on the Marion County prosecutor's race? Yeah, I mean, this was uh, one of the hottest topics across the state, um, paying attention to this race to see what was going to happen. And I was very happy to see that Ryan Mears was able to pull off this victory. Uh, Cindy did run a good race against us, and so I will say that, that, you know, candidates had, well, candidates and voters had a choice in being able to elect two people who really wanted to be able to serve um, Marion County and in various different ways. I think one of the things that we also have to remember, too, when it comes to crime and everything that we're seeing happening in Marion County. I mean, it's also a poverty issue, too. And one of the things that I really liked about Ryan Mears um, is that he knows how to talk about those issues, and he's really focused on, you know, that community-based policing and making sure that people understand, you know, the role of the prosecutor's office and what they can do outside of just prosecuting people and putting them in jail. And so I think being able to have that relationship with constituents um, ultimately led him um, to this victory because it was more more than just let's put everyone in jail, let's make sure that we rally behind our officers, but it was more so, okay, we understand there's an issue, but how can we really solve the root of it and come together as a community? And ultimately, that's what the voters chose, and I'm very glad that we were able to still hold that seat and have Ryan Mears as our prosecutor. Brad? Apparently, Ryan Mears is what the voters wanted. So, I mean, they, I, I thought that that race might be a little closer, and... Mm-hmm. So either the voters don't fully understand the role of the prosecutor's office or they don't care or, I mean, Abdul, you've mentioned it. I, I've had Ryan on, on my uh, my podcast in the past. Ryan's actually a pretty personable guy, and that might have carried over. Mm-hmm. So, I, well, it goes back to the straight ticket, number yes. one. But, but with the FOP and Rick Schneider coming out, and um, back in 2019, they supported the mayor. And, uh, and and but they supported Cindy this time, and I thought that energy was going to help her at least it, it, some. Yeah. And it, and and turned out not so. Uh, got just a couple of seconds left here. Uh, final question. Uh, just looking at the crystal ball, 2023-2024. Uh, Jim, what are you going to be paying attention to? Mayor's race in Marion County, and uh, you know I think that City Council is is. Uh, uh, with only five Republicans on it, that's a very tough thing. But we need a we need somebody in the Republican Party that can reach out o- across the aisle and work with independents as well. 
Brett? It was interesting. I was scrolling through Facebook the other day, and I saw this new page pop up called Abdul for Indy. And I, I don't <laughs> know what about to somebody think about that. somebody that could reach across so, the aisle. So Everybody I, likes him. Uh, I, I, I'm going to have to learn more about it. It seems mm-hmm. to be a groundswell of <laughs> Shireen unauthorized Ab- support. Shireen, did, did she friend it? Oh, oh, oh absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> My wife does not do social media. Thank you very much. Ariel, I'll give you the last word. <laughs> Yeah, I'm I'm just excited overall for, you know, these 2023 races. Obviously, I'm up here in South Bend, um, Indiana, so looking forward to seeing, you know, whether or not we still hold our Democratic Council up here. Our county has now turned red, so I'm interested to see if that's going to trickle into what happens in the city of South Bend. I'm very passionate about my city, so I'm really hope we can hope that we can keep our Democratic stronghold. But I will be paying attention to what's happening in Indianapolis, too, so... Don't think I'm not going to be watching all the way from up here. <laughs> all right. Well, our guests on the program today have been Republican Jim Merritt, Ariel Brandy, Democrat, and Brad Kloppenstein of the Greater Lawrence Chamber of Commerce. Uh, Jim, Brad, Ariel, thank you all very, very much for being with us. Always appreciate you being here. Thanks, Abdul. Thank you. Thank you, Abdul. And that will do it for this edition of Indiana Issues. Remember, you can catch us throughout the week at our parent website, indypolitics.org, and also catch us on television. We're on Comcast and YouTube, Indiana Issues, the television program. Indiana Issues is underwritten in part by the Indiana Conference of Mayors and a Trust Local Program, the Indiana Chamber of Commerce, Ivy Tech Community College, the small business law firm with Rasher Bushman and Vocal, the Institute for Quality Education, Indiana Public Schools, and Downtown Comics, your place to escape. I'm Abdul Akeem Shabazz. Thanks for joining us, and we'll talk to you next time on Indiana Issues. This podcast was produced and edited by Chris Spangle and Leaders and Legends, LLC. If you're interested in starting a podcast or taking yours to the next level, please contact us at leadersandlegends.net.